This week on the Pro Wrestling Podcast, podcast. It's WrestleMania week, folks. We got a lot of podcasts to cover. We got Tony Khan, in his opinion, on Chris Jericho appearing with Stone Cold Steve Austin on the Broken Skull Sessions following night two of WrestleMania. The NWO was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. What was their run really like and how should it have ended? Are there too many legends appearing in WrestleMania these days? And we kick around the top 10 women's wrestlers of all time. I'm your host, Seth Grimes, and this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. TK himself, Tony Khan, appeared on Busted Open this week amongst a whole bunch of other people. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Tony Khan was asked by Tommy Dreamer during this interview what he thought of Chris Jericho going over and doing the podcast with Stone Cold Steve Austin on the WWE Network. Here's what Tony Khan had to say. Hey, Tony, uh, we heard from Steve Austin, his side, uh, but this truly, if you're under contract, it's a two-sided contract. Now you are the forbidden door. You, how did this come about for you? Cause you could have said no, but how did you allow Chris Jericho to, uh, go on the Steve Austin podcast? Well, it's a great story, Tommy. Basically what happened was, um, I had never, uh, never even considered this was going to be a possibility when I, when I'd heard from, uh, Chris, that this was something they wanted to do. Uh, I had to think about it for a minute. He and Steve apparently had talked and Steve had asked Chris if he had interest in uh, doing this program or I guess, you know, they had a conversation. It came up. But when Chris brought it up to me, at first I was taken aback because the idea of Chris doing something on Peacock on WWE's channel uh, is obviously going to give me pause. But when he said it was Steve hosting the show, I didn't have to think very hard about it. You know, it's kind of I mean. You know, Busted Open is an independent show, but I really like being on with you guys. I really trust you and enjoy these times we have together. And I really feel that way about Steve, even though Steve works with WWE. And even though that's another wrestling company that we compete with, I trust Steve immensely. And obviously I trust Chris. And just like I would trust Chris to do a great job on Busted Open, I trust him to do a great job with Steve. And I trust Steve to be a great interviewer and they're both friends of mine. And I feel like it's probably going to be a very good show. I haven't watched it yet, but, uh, Chris told me I'm really going to like it. And, you know, it's a great chance for us to go out and promote AEW to a different set of fans. So I was all for it. And definitely Steve being the host had a lot to do with that. Yeah, it's a great opportunity for everybody. There's no reason why there would be no good reason for a guy like Tony Khan to not let Chris Jericho do it. First of all, if he didn't, it, this is good for Chris Jericho's brand. It keeps him out there. It keeps him in in everybody's consciousness. Uh, it keeps him thinking about him. You know, keeps him fresh. So. For Jericho, this is good. So if Tony Khan just refused Jericho doing it, Jericho could say, yeah, okay, I'll listen to you. But 
because he's under contract. But that would probably, you know, go a long way uh, towards some heat between Tony Khan and Jericho. It would if I was Jericho. I really want to go there. I think this is good for my brand. You're going to tell me no because you just don't want me to because of your fucking ego. Okay. That's fine, but now now I'm not so friendly with you. Now I'm not going to do big favors for you as much. Now I'm, you know, these are the things that make you, like a Kevin Nash and Scott Hall used to say they got to a point where they were in WCW where they were just there collecting a paycheck. You know, some would feel like they always felt like that, but they lost their passion for it. They didn't care, and they were pissed off at Bischoff for firing X-Pac, so they were just sitting on their hands doing the bare minimum and that would be the kind of shit that if a tony khan told chris jericho you can't do this that's the kind of thing that i think a chris jericho would have a problem with and that would stir up uh some issues going forward b as i just said or two or whatever the fuck like i said tony khan this would just be an ego play if he didn't want to let chris jericho appear on the wwe network it would be strictly because of his own ego because he's my AEW guy, and I'm not going to let him appear on a WWE network. He was well within his rights contractually, you know, to say no to that and to not want it. But it would have been purely for his ego, because it doesn't make any business sense to not let Chris Jericho do that. Unless Chris Jericho says something stupid on the podcast. You know, here's my fear, because he is on the WWE network because he is with Stone Cold Steve Austin, because he wants to babyface himself with the WWE diehard fans, he I'm afraid he might go on there and downplay AEW. You know, uh, you know, I, I'm doing this little thing now, and I'm having fun, but boy, the WWE, that was really the big time. Or that was really the best part of my life, you know? And, you know, it probably was. But regardless, he's... I'm worried he's not there as an AEW roster member. I'm worried that he's there as a WWE legend. And those are two very different interviews. Not that they're not going to... It's going to be a WWE-centric interview. We all know this. We we know for a fact, and some of you might be listening to this because this drops early, you know, Sunday morning. Early like Sunday morning. See, I changed the early with the easy or whatever and sang it horribly. But, you know, if you're listening to this on Monday or whatever, you've probably already seen this podcast. So I am going to guess here that this is going to be a very WWE career-centric. I hope that Jericho represents AEW. I hope he talks about it. I hope it is discussed more than just passing because I do think they will address it. They're going to talk about it. But uh, is it going to just be a passing thing? You know, at the end of the podcast, is it going to be like, oh, yeah, hey, by the way, I hear you're doing this new thing. How's that going for you? All right. Or where can guys see you going forward? You know, something quick like that. But I hope this is I hope they get into it. I hope, you know, what made you leave the WWE? Why did you decide to sign with AEW instead? I want to hear those fucking questions asked because. Stone Cold Steve Austin is the kind of guy that's going to deliver it. Like, his interviews are deep. He's he's a fantastic interviewer. He really is. He, he knows, like, he covers the career. He's got enough, uh, uh, got enough notes or did, did enough homework to kind of know what to talk about to walk his guests through their career. 
But at the same time, he he's not afraid because he's stone cold and and he's just got balls like that. You know, who's gonna who's gonna who cares if he pisses somebody off? Is what I'm trying to say. He don't care if he pisses somebody off. If he gets, he's gonna ask the tough questions. Not that he asks got you questions or stupid questions, but he's not afraid to get into your business and ask why and what happened, what really happened, why did you do that, how did you feel about that. Those are the kind of questions that Steve's really good at asking and and putting people on the spot for, and not really letting them get off with an easy pass. He'll he'll even follow up. He'll he'll press you harder. He's really good at that. So I hope. This is a good, thorough, in-depth uh, interview with Jericho. I'm glad Tony Khan's on board with it. I'm glad he's out promoting it. This is just good for all parties. You know, Triple H, we, we talked about last week uh, tr- when Triple H addressed it, and he said we're open for business. And I don't think that means a talent swap with AEW. But these are the kind of little things. Remember back when Ric Flair got to attend the Hall of Fame and Christian got to make an appearance on TNA? I, I think... Tony Khan's the type of businessman that is willing to work with people in that way. So I don't think this will be the last time, if this goes good, that a AEW talent that maybe was a WWE talent can be used for something or just be allowed to appear at the fucking Hall of Fame or something once they're allowed to have people back or you or be a part of a fucking documentary. You get my point, right? <clears throat> That's what this is. That's this is the road that we're going on. If this goes good, it's good for all parties. Uh, if AEW gets mentioned, if they are uh, given honorable amount of time, not a passing glance, but you know they're given their fair due. Let's face it, Chris Jericho's entire career took place other than AEW, other than the last year. So it's going to be a heavy, it's not going to be the whole podcast. I don't expect that. And if you do, you shouldn't. But it should be talked about. Like I said, it should be asked. Why did you decide to go there? What, what, you know, ask more about it. Okay, now that you're there, how do you like it? Or what do you, what do you see your future there? Just fucking, I don't know. I'm not Steve Austin, but you get what I'm saying. You understand where I'm coming from, right? Just Steve, get to the bottom of it. Give it honorable mention. Everybody's going to be happy. WWE gets a great interview the night uh, following WrestleMania, night two. AEW gets mentioned on the WWE Network and gives them a little bit more credibility. Uh, It's just all-around good shit, and I'm looking forward to it. By the way, so here's a note on this. Because the interview is happening tonight as you listen to this, um... I have not obviously seen it and therefore cannot cover it on today's podcast. But if by the time I get all the way to next week, uh, it, it's going to be old news. Everybody's already have been talked about it Monday, Tuesday, whatever. So I'm going to actually drop a little bonus. It's going to be on the podcast feed as a bonus. And then, uh, you know, if you're listening to it here on the podcast feed, if you listen on YouTube, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to put it up as a clip. Like I have the other clips on YouTube. I'm just going to throw this up as an extra clip. So, you know, uh, later on Sunday night or possibly sometime Monday, there'll be a clip that'll show up where I will just specifically address the stone cold broken skull sessions with Chris Jericho. And we'll find out what actually happens. So until then, let's move the fuck on, huh? The following announcement 
has been paid for by the New World Order. The NWO was inducted into the 2020 Hall of Fame this year. I did get a chance to watch that. Um, you know, the Hall of Fame was kind of stupid this year. It's it's always been so rough because I love the Hall of Fame. I loved seeing the legends. I love the nostalgia. I love seeing everybody all dressed up and slightly out of character. Uh, just kind of relaxing and, and in that atmosphere. I love the celebration of history. I love all the old stories and, you know, the funny stories and the tragic stories and the roller coaster ride. You know, the Hall of Fame is special to me for that. But at the same time, it's had a long, long history of, you know, hour long fucking inductions <laughs> that. Go on and on and on from a guy you don't really care about to begin with, and you just want to shoot yourself in the head to when they try to overcompensate for that, and everybody's is too short. Now there's no audience, and it's all chopped and edited, and it's just, I don't know. But the NWO got inducted, and uh, we got to see Hall and Nash and Hollywood Hogan and, and Six. And no doubt the NWO has had a fucking Hall of Fame legacy, right? Like, what would be professional wrestling right now if it weren't for the NWO? It was the hottest fucking thing, period, end of story. I think the only thing that was could possibly be compared to what the NWO achieved was maybe Austin 316. And they were right around the same time. But when you want to talk about just a major pop culture fucking t-shirt in walmart situation right every they're just a bajillion t-shirts being sold it was the nwo maybe closely followed by stone cold um you know i'm well they are closely followed stone cold is the biggest t-shirt merchandise seller period for wwe ever so financially the biggest star ever WWE had is Stone Cold Steve Austin. I would say the same thing would be the NWO for WCW. And I would say the NWO was probably bigger if you were to add the two numbers up. So with that said, but probably not by much. So with that said, the NWO was the most over fucking thing in the business. But here's a clip of Brian Alvarez talking about why maybe he doesn't think so, so much. Check this out. Exactly like Nash said, everybody wanted to see, to see us get beaten, and we just kept going, and they kept going and going and going. For years There was and no years end. The closest they had to an end, sort of, was when Sting was going to beat Hogan at Starcade. Now, forget the whole fuck-up with Nick Patrick, okay? Do you guys remember the follow-up to that after Sting beat Hogan? We watched it. It was all about Hogan yes. and getting heat back on the NWO. That was not the end. That was one little happy ending battle in a giant war that never ended. Okay. He's not wrong. Heat, 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 heat. It's all it was every single week was the NWO beating the shit out of the WCW guys and making them look like bitches, making them look like jobbers. The only WCW guys that got over in the NWO era was Goldberg, Sting, and fucking DDP. Booker T did, despite everything, and he managed to do it by kind of staying away from the NWO. I mean, I could be wrong, but to the best of my knowledge, Booker T 
tried to his storylines were not really directly involved with working with the NWO, and that probably helped him for the long run. Uh, the NWO had a couple guys that they worked with that they let get over on them, which was Sting and DDP and Goldberg. And uh, outside of that, basically everybody got squashed. So he's not wrong. So at that point, but I don't look back at it so negatively, you know, like I said before the clip, I put over the NWO very strong. I think looking back at my childhood, I can't remember anything bigger in wrestling history than the NWO to this day. And it's not in, and I think the numbers will back it. As I said, the closest thing to it would be Steve Austin, but, and it, but I think the numbers would support NWO just a guess. So I don't feel the same way Alvarez does as far as, uh, you know, uh, just shitting on the whole angle, but taking it into consideration Let's kind of sit back here and like, how do you properly end the NWO storyline? What would have been the best out there? There was a, there was a handful of times that somebody got over on the NWO. Uh, I thought Roddy Piper did a great job. You know, some would say he cut some shitty promos in there, or maybe his matches were lackluster. I don't care about any of that. I'm not. I don't expect everybody to have a fucking Dean Malenko Chris Benoit wrestling match. I'm sorry, I know a lot of you people do, and I appreciate them as much as the next. I love a fucking great wrestling match. I love it above probably everything, anything else. Um, but I also enjoy story. I enjoy a good story. I enjoy characters. I enjoy seeing legends and icons. And to me, Roddy Piper was still a huge, huge star. When he came to WCW, I was pumped for it. When he walked out, I was psyched, and he got into it with Hulk Hogan, and he actually got to beat Hulk Hogan, but he didn't win the championship. I, I think uh, he still was very opposed to doing jobs, so I don't know if maybe he just didn't want to drop the title back. It doesn't matter. I'm not. I'm speculating at this point. I guess the point I'm going down this road is Roddy Piper was one that got a win over the NWO, got a win over Hogan, but... He wasn't going to be the guy to take down the NWO and, and win for WCW necessarily. So it wouldn't be that. I think Giant got over on Hulk Hogan, but he ended up just joining the NWO. And, of course, now he's the fucking big show. And bleh, right? <laughs> right? Am I right? But um, so it wasn't going to be the Giant that really ultimately shut down the NWO. Stinger. The Sting angle uh, was biggest angle in like if you want to say the nwo was the biggest thing in history the biggest angle i think in pro wrestling history if it wasn't and, and they coincide quite frankly you could say it was austin mcmahon you can say it was sting in the nwo because sting when he came out there when when everything they did was so perfect with sting right up until the actual match itself the 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 Sting being the fucking hero of WCW, wearing the neon still, the surfer Sting, and talking and just being a stinger, you know, being the stinger man, as uh, Ricky Starks would say. And they did the thing where they had the imposter Sting help out the NWO, and the whole WCW locker room, all of Stinger's friends, Lex Luger even, they all doubted Sting. They all turned on Sting. 
They all thought Sting had turned their back his back on WCW and helped the NWO. It was a great angle, an imposter Sting. Everybody starts to hate Sting, and Sting fucking turns. He finally says, I've been here for you guys forever through everything. You think I would do this to you? This is what you think of me? Then fine. Then I'm walking away from this. And he started showing up not too long after that, sitting up in the rafters, just wearing the black with the white crow paint, you know, from the crow. And he would just sit there and fucking and, and watch and wouldn't help anybody get beat up. He watched WCW get squashed every single night, like Alvarez says, and he'd just watch. Then when he finally did make his play, all he had to do was point his fucking bat Oh, my God. So everything, I'm not going to walk you through it all because I don't want to take up your time telling the whole story of the NWO. But everything they did right up till that final match. And now Bischoff tells a story about it was perfect. The whole build. It was probably my favorite angle in wrestling history. Uh, and I think that was a moment where you could have had WCW overtake or end the nwo but they were kind of like right at their peak so i don't know if that was the right time to do it but it was absolutely the right time to pull the trigger i don't know if it was the right time to end the nwo but absolutely the right time to put the belt on stinger but it was politics then at that point so eric bischoff tells the story that you know him and hulkster got to talking brother and and you know sting was a little too not so tanned and not so in shape and Maybe he's gimmicked up a little bit, and who knows? So let's take the belt right back off of him. And you know what? With baby faces like that, it's more with the chase and not the rain. So uh, that's fine if they were going to take it right back off of him. And then with the, what did they end up doing shortly after that? And that's probably how I would have booked it, too. Maybe not taking it off a of sting right away, but it wasn't time to end the NWO. The time to end the NWO would have been... When Goldberg beat Hulk Hogan. That's the guy. That was the time. That's when you would have done it. Maybe you follow that up with a war games. You know, like a, you know, you know, you're done, Hulk. You're never getting another title shot. You're out of here. And Hulk's like, you know what? We'll put it all on the line in a fucking war games match or something. They could have did something cool, you know, it, uh, a loser leaves town, or not maybe not the end, but they have to disband, or I don't know. I'm not the fucking booker, but you get what I'm saying. I think that was the moment because that's when after the Goldberg after Goldberg beat Hulk, that's when the NWO started to decline. That's when they split into the Wolf Pack and the NWO Hollywood, and then that just watered the whole thing down. All the cool guys were in the Wolf Pack, but it was red and yellow, and it wasn't just. They weren't very NWO-y anymore. And NWO Hollywood looked more NWO-y, but they were the old guys and the boring guys. It was like Hulk Hogan and, and, and the fucking other, you know, I don't even remember who else was in it. <laughs> but I know, like, fuck, that's where, like, you would find your Horace Hogans and shit like that. So um, I think that's you end the NWO with Goldberg and you launch Goldberg that much more with that. That's how I would have did it. I'd be open to hearing your guys' thoughts. Definitely if you're, you know, listening to this on YouTube, feel free to leave something in the comments on how you would have booked the end of the NWO. 
great conversation to have. I don't think Alvarez was wrong, but at the same time, you know, I do still think the NWO was the greatest thing going. Did they end it good? Maybe it was like a Stephen King book, right? Like a fantastic story. The ending sucks. <laughs> and that's pretty much what it was. So anyway, moving on. On the Kurt Angle show, he was talking with Conrad about his match at WrestleMania 22. The big main event world heavyweight title triple threat match between Kurt Angle, Randy Orton, and Rey Mysterio. Of course, Rey Mysterio went on to win that match, as you know. Spoiler alert, if you don't. Ha! And uh, that was a big moment for Rey Mysterio. Here's Kurt Angle on what he thought about the match and uh, uh, the entrance for Rey Mysterio. Let's uh, let's talk about the match itself here. It got three and a half stars in the Observer. Mysterio gets a huge ring entrance. He's even got the band POD playing his entrance music. He's got this big Mayan headdress. Uh, it's a coming out party for Mysterio. What do you think of the uh, the live bands playing the entrance themes? Was that something you thought was a cool touch or sort of unnecessary? That's what WrestleMania is all about, and I don't blame Ray for doing that. It was his night. He was winning the world title. The only issue was it went so long. <laughs> you know, we had we had like 21 minutes for our match, including entrances. And 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 the entrance was pretty long as it was. So my my entrance was two minutes. Randy's was two minutes. Ray's had to be eight minutes. So, you know, you add that together, that's 12 minutes. We only had nine minutes to wrestle one of the co-main events, WrestleMania. So we had to cut a lot of stuff. It was a really difficult match to do. And especially in the triple H or triple, uh, triple threat match, it's really hard to cut stuff out because you have to have all three people, uh, in unison with each other, knowing what's going on next. Yeah. I mean, I get where he's coming from. They probably could have cut time off of other matches on that show and given it to this match for sure. Like, did Vince McMahon and Shawn Michaels really need as much time that they had? Uh, did fucking Carlito and, and Chris Masters versus Kane and Big Show need as much time as it got? Probably not. Those matches could have been shorter and... Uh, a little more time given to this. I mean, don't they do rehearsals and like walkthroughs, run-throughs? You know, I could have swore they do. Maybe they didn't back then. Maybe they didn't have enough time. Maybe Ray just took his sweet-ass time and took longer hanging out with the band or, you know, trying to climb up the back ramp steps there to the fucking stage or who knows what the deal was. I don't know. I wasn't there. But what I can tell you is that that was a huge moment for Ray Mysterio. And that entrance was fucking epic. And it was, that's part of, not only part of WrestleMania, the live bands, the extra, you know, the, the entrance gear, the fucking, Ray had this crazy, like, headdress and shit. Uh, this, like, aztec and feathered out and stuff. It looked great. And, uh, you know, P.O.D., uh, played his entrance music in and he you know took his sweet ass time to get in the ring but that's part of the pageantry of wrestlemania that's what makes wrestlemania special amongst other things obviously and that really added to it being ray's moment that night yeah absolutely the match needed more time but really at the same time being a triple threat match it's just kind of a big fuck fest anyway now, I'm I'm not a big triple threat hater, but they're not 
they're harder to be like instant classics, you know? They're just kind of a fuck fest and it's harder to I don't know. It's just it, they don't stand out as much to me. So really what you're looking for in that whole thing is Rey Mysterio's crowning moment. So you give him the bomb ass entrance, you put him over, give him the championship, and you send him on his way. And I was a huge supporter of Rey Mysterio. I ate that shit up. I was a total mark for it, you know? Uh, Rey Mysterio world champion, the underdog story, it was all good shit to me. It was great. And I thought he had a fun little run, too. I liked what he did with Sabu on that one ECW show. Um, Rey Mysterio deserved it, and he got his moment, and it was good shit there. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, the, if things weren't timed out properly, it's kind of sad and it's shortchanging the guys for working so hard on, on have, putting something together and then having to work maybe even harder trying to fix it on the fly and, and figure out what to cut and what to keep uh, in the amount of time like on the fly as you're doing it. Uh, but that's what being a pro is all about. Uh, this was also talked about on the Something to Wrestle podcast this week. I didn't uh, single out a clip from that. I just uh, recommend you go listen to it. There's a lot of great WrestleMania content on podcasts this week. Wasn't able to get it all for you here, but uh, they both kind of talked about it. But definitely the Kurt Angle perspective was much more intriguing because Bruce really didn't seem to care too much or think any of it was a big deal. So recommend going and check it out. That's a great WrestleMania. There's a lot of good stuff on that. You know, McFoley versus Edge and Triple H versus Cena was a good match. Mickey versus Trish, all of it. Go check it out. Speaking of Mickey James versus Trish Stratus at WrestleMania 22, Trish Stratus made an appearance on the Busted Open podcast this week also, and uh, she was there to talk about her Hall of Fame career. They also asked her about... Uh, being ranked number one in WWE's recent list of 50 greatest women wrestlers of all time. Here's what she had to say about that. You just brought up Charlotte's name and the WWE within the past week or so released a list of the top 50 female superstars of all time. And lo and behold, you were number one with Charlotte coming in at number two. Yeah. How does it feel for you? to be voted, declared um, the number one spot in WWE as the greatest female superstar of all time. I don't know. It, honestly, that's like a bold thing for them to put out, like a list. I mean, you know, it's really, lists are subjective. I don't know who's behind the list. Like, did my mom vote? I don't know what this list came about. But um, internally, like with me and my team, we were kind of like, I mean, I knew there was the top five and I was just grateful to be in the top five with these amazing, you know, athletes. And I, I, I kind of thought I, for sure, I actually for sure thought Charlotte was going to be number one. That's where I, that's where I put her. Um, but uh, I don't know. I got the number one spot and it was, it was a little crazy. And they put that package together and, you know, you get emotional when you go back on that ride and you're kind of like, you know, when they position it the way they did, if you saw the package, it was just like, you're like, okay, like, cause just, I think it's just the time. I mean, I was lucky. Of course, look, I say, I only got the accolades and anything that I got was because of the people that surrounded me. And that's including someone like you, like anybody that worked with me. I mean, as you know, I was green, you know, when I came up and people were there to support me, saw that fire in me. And really like a lot of the stuff I did was only because it was a team effort and we got to, you know, go out there and kind of conquer these things together. So um, we were lucky 
in a way, we were lucky that we had a crappy landscape to deal with at the time, right? We had these obstacles we had to overcome. So by doing that, you know, you, 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 we, we were able to tackle barriers and things like that. So um, I, you know, I think because of the timing of my career, um, we were able to make such a big impact. And um, yeah, I'm just super grateful. And I didn't get a prize yet. I don't know what they're gonna send me. That's hard to say. Who, who, who is? Definitely the WWE list is wrong. So let's throw that out the window, first of all. Their list is stupid. It always is because what it, it's a gimmick list. It's meant to put over the current talent and, you know, they, they leave off names that nobody's ever heard of or, you know, that they think nobody's ever heard of, which would be anybody that hasn't wrestled within the last 10, 20 years, basically. Which is fair, because when I was a kid, I, I mean, I, when when I started watching wrestling, I was 10 years removed, less than 10 years removed from Bruno San Martino's run. And I didn't know who the fuck he was and couldn't care less. So, <laughs> you know, when I was watching Hogan and Savage and Warrior, I didn't know who Bruno was and I didn't care who Bruno was, just some old guy. So I get that. I get what they're doing there. But anyway, women's wrestling list. So I don't know any particular order. I can't say who would be the greatest of all time. That's so hard to say. Um, but we can let's let's spitball some honorable mentions here. Trish Stratus absolutely belongs on that list. We'll stick with the top 10. I'll try to do a top 10 here for you in no particular order. I would say absolutely Trish Stratus belongs on that list. She was groundbreaking because she bridged that gap. She was one of those divas, quote-unquote, that came from the bra and panties matches and was there for tits and ass, literally was the manager of a team called TNA uh, before TNA existed. And she was just there for her looks. She was a little fuck doll that just looked hot, and, and that, that was it, period. But she earned her keep. She worked hard. Very hard to work her way up. She did the degrading storylines, the bra and panty matches, the shit with Vince McMahon. And she addressed that, too, in this interview. You know, they had me crawling around on and, and stuff like that at the time was... But it was her building herself up, paying her dues, because that storyline actually paid off. She got to get revenge. And I think that did level her up at that time. Um, then she started being taken a little bit more seriously and she started having better matches and she became a women's champion and her run with Lita, those battles that they had, they main evented Monday night raw women main evented Monday night raw in like, what was it? 2000, 2001, maybe, maybe 2002. Uh, it was basically unheard of back then. It just wasn't a thing that happened. So Trish Stratus in, in you hear so many women wrestlers that like that have come up after her that have gone on to say that they think Trish Stratus is the is that's their girl, you know, that's who inspired them. So you gotta look at all that. We'll throw Lita in there for the same exact reasons. All everything I just mentioned with Trish, you can doubly add with Lita. Okay. So you got Trish, you got Lita absolutely deserving of that let's go back a little further you gotta throw the great moolah in there you have to or the fabulous moolah right she's i mean it's the fucking fabulous moolah she was champion for ever <laughs> so you can't you can't really argue with that and and being the pimp of all the other lady wrestlers and shit 
<clears throat> I mean, she basically was ladies wrestling in her era. So you got to throw her on the list. You have to throw Sherry Martell on that list. You can't have a top 10 list of female wrestlers and not include Sherry Martell. Not just for being the woman that, I mean, she beat the fabulous Mula, so Mula put her over, so that was huge. But it, it, after her active wrestling career, her managing career, my God, she was absolutely worthy of a top 10, you know, worthy of her Hall of Fame induction, all that. Sherry Martell, one of the greatest names in wrestling history. I'd put her on the top 10, uh, on the top 100 list of wrestlers, period. Men and women, if you throw them all in a pile, Sherry Martell's in there. Not just ring skills, but your overall effect on the business, right? None of this is, can you wrestle like fucking Dean Malenko? Get all that shit out of your head and say, oh, she sucks your wrist and she's... Your, your character, your fucking statalatus, right? Your status, your outreach to the mainstream, your fucking, you know, the brand. How big is, is your brand? Your legacy that you leave. All of that gets taken into consideration. So fuck off with that kind of shit. Uh, you got to add Medusa to that. I would say she's, you know, not on the level of a Sherry Martell but pretty damn close, you know. They're 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 in that same field. So there's five. We got your top five. Um, modern day. Let's throw Becky Lynch on there. Let's throw. Uh, it's really hard to argue that all of the four horsewomen don't deserve to be in the top ten. Even you're looking wrestling history. They've. Main evented, minus what, Bailey, but then you look at the match that Bailey and Sasha had, so you can't really take Bailey out. So really you could make an argument for all four of the four horsewomen. Sasha, Bailey, Charlotte, and Becky Lynch. You have to. You and and that's not placating to a modern audience. That's not I mean, you look at over the history, I mean, what are you gonna you gonna go with the jumping bomb angels? You could put a Mae Young on there, and that could round out the top 10, and you wouldn't be wrong there. That wouldn't be inaccurate. I'm sure there's one or two female wrestlers that I'm forgetting somewhere along the way here. You know, you could pick a Molly Holly if you wanted to, because I know she's she's the worker's favorite, right? All the chicks respect Molly Holly. But I don't know that Molly was really all that impactful or, you know, I never gave a shit about her other than she was the chick with the short hair and the huge booty, the huge booty, right? Which, I mean, you know. So I probably would add Mae Young to that um, and, you know, because she was also very groundbreaking for her time. She was wrestling men. Even, uh, you know, just a tough, tough bitch and just her longevity, the things that she was doing and up into her, but 80s. So uh, you wouldn't be wrong throwing, I, I, you know, that'd be close to my top 10. I'd be willing to argue and negotiate a little bit there, but I think that's pretty fair. Um, but hey, all of it's uh, open to interpretation. But I would check out Trish Stratus on Busted Open. I would check out... Mickey James on After the Bell, and uh, appreciate the legacy that these women left on professional wrestling. Arn Anderson talked about WrestleMania 32 this week on Arn, the podcast named Arn. What a name for a podcast, hey? Arn. I mean, mine's not 
that much better. The Pro Wrestling Podcast podcast. It's like, dude, did you just did you just type podcast twice or I don't I don't understand. I'm reading am I reading this wrong? So but Arn, just just Arn, you know. Um but I love Arn's podcast because Arn was around for the recent shit. Arn was around for WrestleMania 32, and this was just five years ago. And they were talking about, uh, specifically in this clip here, they were talking about all the legends that appeared at that WrestleMania. And that's kind of been a thing for the last few WrestleManias. I would say almost since The Rock came back 10 years ago. Not so much the last couple COVID years, uh, you know, this year and last year, but it seems like they lean heavily on the on the legends. And even even last year they did with Goldberg and, and shit. So here's Arn talking about his take on all the legends at WrestleMania 32. The Rock is going to be a part of the show. Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels, Mick Foley, and John Cena will all be on the show in some capacity, some way, shape, or form. Do you think over the years, perhaps the company has gone back to the legends too many times? I think sometimes we read criticism online that, Hey, they're just so focused on showcasing the legends. They forget to actually build their current roster to that status. Would you agree, disagree, or on a big show like WrestleMania or all is everything sort of out of the book? It's a double-edged sword. Um, you want to give your fans and your viewing audience, every possible positive thing you can give them. I think every superstar, every matchup, uh, guys from the past that truly are gods in the wrestling industry. WrestleMania is the place to bring them. But if you do it at the expense of the new talent that you're trying to build, whether it be taking the spot away from them on the show or just uh, something being way too lopsided, uh, which we have a couple of instances of that on the show. Uh, I'm not sure it's a good thing. Uh, I'm a little bit, you know, a double-edged sword on, on, on that. Certainly you can't say that you don't want a Shawn Michaels and a rock right. and Foley and, and, and Steve Austin. Who, if somebody said, would you like them to be on WrestleMania? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Really? Of course. Uh, but then you got to break it down and figure out what they're going to be doing. And is it going to make them bigger stars than when they walked in the door that night? And is it going to be better for the show? It is just one of those things, right? It's like you want all these legends to be on your show. Like Arn said, if you, you know, you were to ask, you know, do you want Stone Cold and Mick Foley and all these fucking people on your show? Shawn Michaels. Yes, 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 absolutely. Give me all these legends. But now you're, are you taking away spots from active roster guys? Are you watering down the star power of the legends by having them around all the time? Are you making the current roster look weaker? Like, we can't make a big show that will draw money without all these big names from 10 and 20 years ago. So all of these things are factors to take in with the reuse of all these legends, and it is kind of becoming that thing. Uh, no, nobody on the roster is over to that extent anymore. 
nobody on the roster is over enough to become legend to where they can draw WrestleMania headlining pay-per-views with that same kind of star power energy that guys from 10 years and 20 years ago can do for you. And I think I know why. I think it has to do with the WWE putting more emphasis on the brand over the star. I think they did that basically after Stone Cold and The Rock left. I think those were the last two giant megastars where WWE is like, okay, uh, or Vince, I should say. I mean, I guess they could be used interchangeably. Where Vince would say, okay, we gotta, these guys, we can't build around just guys. You know, we can't let guys have this much power to where. Uh, you know, if they walk away, I'm screwed. So we just got to invest in the brand. We got to make WWE the star. And that makes sense in theory. It's not a, a batshit crazy idea. Because Stone Cold just walked away from WWE one day. And The Rock just became a movie star one day. And... All of a sudden, WWE's caught with their pants down. And they don't have anybody on deck. So there's here's the flaws with everything. So what they decided to do, let's just make the brand strong. That way we can just, we're WWE, we're WrestleMania. You just pay to go see that. And that worked for a while and did work for a while because they still had stars you wanted to see. CM Punk, Dana Bryan was there, is there. But as the legends from that era where you could get over and become a star on your own, as those legends are aging out and the machine is just producing great talent, but not the talent that's going to go on to be the next Hollywood superstar or, you know, they're not dependent. None of these guys are bigger than the brand itself. Which, you know, they created a Stone Cold to be. They created a Rock to be. And because those guys were there, they were working with guys like Undertaker, guys like Mick Foley, and building them up to be iconic stars as well, who then passed it on and worked with guys like Edge. And all of these guys were big-time stars. But the problem when you do that is now when you're just your main focus is WWE as a brand, none of those talents stand out. None of them are going to be able to come back as legends and sell out a big. Can you imagine a, a sellout stadium going insane, apeshit crazy over a Seth Rollins? 20 years from now. Come on. Come on. Not like a stone cold. They don't have it anymore. They're losing those legends. And and you can look no further than the people that came after Stone Cold in the Rock. You got John Cena and you got Randy Orton, who's still there and an active member of the roster. But I would put those two. Batista. Um, You know, you're wearing thin. And it's... And, and now your legends are going to be your Seth Rollinses and your Roman Reigns and your your Fiends. And these are your top guys. And nothing against these guys, but 
I'm telling, like, I'm not. Are you, how stoked are you to watch Drew McIntyre versus fucking uh, Bobby Lashley in a main event of a WrestleMania? How much does that just fucking get you hyped, right? You got Hogan and Andre. You got Stone Cold versus The Rock. And you got Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be a dick about it. I'm not trying to get under your skin, but come on, man. I don't know. I think you can only have legends come back for so long, and I think eventually they're going to die off or just be too old or not care anymore. Or You know, you can only fall back on them so long. you got to have that next generation coming up. And it's not just a matter of, it's not even just the brand, but it's also not building talent. You know, you got to build that next level of stars. You got to invest in the next level of stars. And they didn't do that. They didn't have the next stars to come up. They got a Randy and a, and a Cena and a Batista. And then Batista went to become a major movie star. And Cena's on his way to being a major movie star. Randy Orton. So I already professed to be a lifer in WWE, which is fine. And uh, that's it. After them, who do you got? <clears throat> so we shall see. I could be proven wrong. Uh, you know, the business is cyclical, and there could always be an upswing right around the corner. But uh, we will see. Check out Arn's podcast every single Tuesday. Jim Cornette talks about the recent news story of TNT not wanting AEW to have any more surprises on Dynamite. They want to be able to cash in on surprises. We want we want to announce that a big star is going to show up. They were they sent this memo after the Sting thing. After Sting showed up and the winter is coming and it was a big surprise. TNT didn't like that. They would rather announce that Sting was going to be the new signing to AEW and that he was going to be there on TV. And that's, I mean, if you're looking for ratings, you know, you can't fault them for thinking that way. I personally enjoy surprises in wrestling and think, you know, they put enough hype into that show to, you know, where it should have got or did get more ratings than normal anyway. So, but it kind of starts that ball rolling too. Is TNT going to just kind of stick their nose into wrestling more a lot of questions to ask there but here's the hot take from jim Cornette on this of course slanted like usual as he is not the biggest aew fan but he is still one of the wisest men in professional wrestling and it's still always worth listening to his hot take and uh check this out tnt apparently being upset with aew Oh, yeah, because they, they surprises, surprise debuts. Well, here's the quote. Apparently, it came up on Chris Jericho's show. One of the emails said it's called Bloat is Jericho. I know when Sting was a surprise and the network was like, don't do that again. That's why Paul White was announced on social media, because TNT said, we don't want surprises. We want to take advantage of the rating. So I think we had a big surprise. Then we had a big announcement, and we used that big announcement to announce the next big surprise. So, oh boy, a lot of questions have come in about this, Jim. What are oh your boy. thoughts about the idea that 
You know, and we've talked a lot about how they blew it with the big show and, and other surprises and announcements. What are your thoughts about the fact that TNT is getting involved and telling them not to do this? Um, Vince McMahon used to call it kayfabing ourselves. When we would try to make something a surprise that didn't actually need to be a surprise. And and before anybody goes, oh, Cornette hates ice cream. Cornette hates surprises. No, there can be surprises. The concept of surprises, surprise debuts, surprise returns, surprise whatever the fuck in wrestling is not, the concept of it is not bad. But when you have uh, a name of the level of the iconic nature of a sting, or a big show, in unless they're gonna, in, it's guys that are gonna come in and be an active part of the roster, and you need them in some physical angle or whatever. Why wouldn't you advertise things like that? And it could have been if they just tweaked it a little bit. It could have been fucking advertised. They they kayfabe themselves. Um. It 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 just it depends on the level of star that you've got. But a lot of times people are hell bent on making uh, these shocking surprises to pop the people that are already there in the building or already there watching the show. When there's something that you could have told them a way you could have done it where two or three weeks or whatever, you've built anticipation to see this person. And then you just surprise the people watching with what you do with it. It's so scary to think like TNT is going to start dipping their hand into this pot of professional wrestling now. And, you know, these guys that have no fucking clue about wrestling, they have no fucking clue. Surprise appearances are huge in wrestling. I think the when I was a little kid, I remember the return of the Ultimate Warrior being a surprise to me. I remember, you know, at WrestleMania 8, I remember Sid Justice being a surprise. Um, I don't know if Ric Flair, I think Ric Flair might have had promos going in, but he, uh, you know, maybe his exact debut so wasn't announced. So, and ECW certainly made a long history of surprise appearances and shit, so... It's something that has a tradition, a history in wrestling. I personally like it. I think if it's just out of the blue, like if there was a debut of, you know, Sting on a show like last, like this week's, um, you know, with no hype or no real, you know, just a regular every week show, then that would be kind of stupid. But I think the Winter is Coming was hyped to be like a pay-per-view. So... I think it's perfectly fine to debut a star, a legend like Sting like that on a on a show that you're already putting as much hype as you humanly can into. But in the network, it's hard because the network's in this too and they want the best ratings possible. So if you got something like that that could pop a rating, why would you not take advantage of it? And that's how they're thinking. But at the same time... I think as a wrestling promotion, it's important to set 
the standard of, of you always have to watch because you don't know what's going to happen. If you always know what's going to happen, then you know what you can skip. So in, that was something that WCW mastered in the Nitro era. Eric Bischoff mastered. It was his creative that came up with that, that, that must-see TV element of wrestling that you don't really get anymore. And eight, that's one of the things I like about AEW is it does seem more loose. Like WWE is such a tight product right now that you just, it just, it's so corporate, so sterilized, so, you know, uh, homogenized. Isn't that a thing? I don't know. But podcast journalist, folks, and all the big words. But this is one of those slippery slopes. I'm a slippery slope guy. I think once you, I, I'm, I give a lot of pushback on things, both in in, you know, things like this, um, but in my personal life as well. Like when somebody dips their toe into something like this, that can become a slippery slope real quick. TNT dipping their toe and telling AEW what to do and not to do on their TV. Now, as a network, they're going to have certain guidelines. I don't mean that shit. I don't mean don't say the fuck on TV and in, in, in shit like that. I'm okay with those kind of you know standards and practices. I'm okay with that because those are your network's standards and practices. But when the network's just watching your show and going, hey, I didn't like the way you did that. Why don't you do it this way from now on? That's not good because they're not wrestling bookers. You could argue Tony Khan's not really a wrestling booker either, and that's fair. But he's in it, at least, and he's got people around him that have been in it. So what else are they going to Are they gonna say, I don't like the way that you main event with trios matches all the time. I want a one-on-one main event every week, or I think you should do a title match every single week. Or You know, that's a very fine line for a company like a TNT to start getting involved in the booking of their, their product. So hopefully that doesn't happen. And, you know, another thing that worries me with TNT is that the guy that made the deal and uh, signed the re-up uh, for, between TNT and AEW was friends with Tony Khan. And he doesn't work there anymore. So it was a buddy deal. And now the buddy's not there. So TNT, you know, and when the contract's up at, at the end of the four years, who's to say TNT's even going to want them anymore? Uh, I'll bet they will because of just they'll be hurting for that kind of content. You know, four years from now, fuck, everybody's hurting for that kind of content now. Four years from now, streaming services are going to, nobody's even going to be watching live TV except for wrestling and football and shit like that, basketball, live stuff gets live viewers but other than that eh but it's something to watch out for it makes me uncomfortable i don't like that kind of shit i'm very apprehensive now they're gonna start doing that's a and it's not a small thing you can understand it it's a it's a note from a network that you can understand hey let's do everything we can to get the best ratings that we can but that can lead to hot shot booking and that can lead to not as good storytelling. And like I said, it ta- if nothing's ever a surprise, then it takes away from that must-see element of watching. 
You don't need a surprise on every show, but you have a surprise sprinkled in here and there. You just, it, it creates a, I, I got to watch tonight because you never know. So that's my piece on it. We will continue to keep an eye on that here at the Pro Wrestling Podcast podcast for you guys. Moving on. Oh, don't forget to go check out the Jim Cornette Experience and the Jim Cornette Drive-Thru for more of your Jim Cornette content. You can find it on podcasts. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it all over that shit. The Butcher and the Blade were on Takas Jericho this week. I love these guys. They were talking about where they got their gimmick from, how they came up with the characters for the Butcher and the Blade. Check this out. I mean, I, I always give him credit for the actual characters of the Butcher and the Blade. Like he is pretty much his creation. And we saw we saw Mandy in the theaters together with Nicolas Cage, and that was a big influence. Crazy for movie, us. Yeah. yeah. So we, yeah, we just like little pieces there, and then like we just this was his idea too. We were just saying like how our favorite wrestlers like growing up, you know, they always wrestled. But then a lot of guys also had like like promo gear or like backstage gear, you know what I mean? So that's right. why we we did the we do the white outfits if right. we're not wrestling. Oh it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's and just, it was like that was, but like when we knew we were coming back because we were locked up in New York because of the lockdown. We were yeah, we were done. Pandemic. We, were, we were out for about two. And a half so months you guys were wrestling for wow, three months, right? Even without us, we were gone for three we months. Basically, just started at that. Like, point. I, was, I was I was just thinking we about that not too long ago. I think because I remember Salt Lake City was the last live show. I mean, March 11th. <laughs> there you go. Never yeah. forget. So we, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, I think maybe we've been with the AW for like two months, but we'd only been signed for like not even a month. Mm. And then COVID happened and then we were home for like two and a half months. And that was a thing. Like when so you it was hear, crazy to go from that high to like, wow. gone, yeah. when you yeah. hear all the dudes who got let go at WWE, it was kind of hard for me to go, oh my God, like obviously AW is going to like let some dudes go we're gonna follow suit yeah we're gonna be the first on the because we're like our contracts are kind of the newest so we're gonna do it and like dude i i say it all the time i've said it on i think every single podcast i've done tony khan is the most punk rock dude there is if you want to talk about punk he doesn't even know it he has no clue that he's the most punk rock dude he's the most punk rock dude now tell me why you say that (laughs) and i'm gonna i great analogy i know that you you beep the f word on this no i don't do it but i'll say this right now that motherfucker doesn't give up i really do like these guys a lot i hope there aren't butcher and blade haters out there that are and i'm sure there are it's the internet right but these guys deserve more respect i think than they get because you really don't hear about them a lot but butcher and the blade first of all just start with their look their look is fucking fantastic you know the fucking big burly guy with the mustache and the in the monocle and the tattoos like the butch butcher himself just a fantastic look that you don't see in wrestling anymore WWE has such a cookie cutter fucking wrestling factory look of all just fucking I don't know, just the clean cut, and uh, you just never see a big, burly, balding, monocled, fucking mustachioed guy like that with the with the with the kind of the beer gut a little bit, and just the man, you know, he's just a man. And then you got Blade with his fucking weirdo mask, where he looks like a gimp almost, and in his fucking you know little leather short shorts and whatever the fuck and the bunny the bunny is a great addition to that act i love bunny she's fucking 
She's she's fun. If you watch her on uh, YouTube, I should cover that some po- at some point. She got me hooked on Oreos. She's got a good little show and uh, on YouTube where she just bullshits with people. I think she's more of a Twitch person. I got to start watching some Twitch and stuff too, but can't cover it all, folks. Can't cover it all, but uh, back to the Butcher and the Blade. Then you get the in-ring work. I mean, these guys were, I mean, Blade's been around a little bit. He's more of the technician in the group. Butcher's kind of more of a greenhorn, but he is he's improved so much. If you just watch his matches from debut, he had that really horrible match with Moxley where he talked about that actually on this show too uh, with Jericho. But he's improved so much, and and you can see the work. He's trimmed down. He's gotten himself in better shape. His in-ring work is is much better. He's putting a lot of effort into it. And this this the tag teams just it's a fun team to watch. Um, they're great characters for wrestling, and I like the idea. And they're very self-aware. They knew what their characters would be right off the bat, like they explained. They're essentially henchmen. They're the henchmen for the bad guy. So when, like, MJF hired the Butcher and the Blade and fucking, uh, I believe that was how they got brought in, right, against Cody to start with. But then, you know... They're just the henchmen. They're the they're the guys that you co- but specifically the hen- the specialist henchmen that you have to call in the weirdos from out of town that'll you know get rid of the body for you or fucking make it look nasty or you know what I'm talking about just the just the specialty henchmen that you call in but they're not they know their place they know they're not the top guys they know they're there to get other guys over give them a couple wins to be legitimate. And then ultimately just job them out over and over and over to the other top guys. Give them a couple wins to keep them legitimate. Job them out, job them out, job them out. They get it. And that's they're fantastic characters for that. They are the perfect tag team, henchmen, heel tag team. You could plug them in anywhere. They're really a good fit. And, and they're not the kind of team they would never get a second look in WWE. Blade's balding. He's older. Butch is balding. He's older. But the two, they're, they're just a fun team. They got a fun look and a fun style and a fun presentation. And then you add on top of it, just they seem like really cool guys. Like I said, I love Bunny on uh, her YouTube channel. She's got a really, you know, you get to see her personality. You get to see what she's like as a normal person. And as a matter of fact, uh, <clears throat> when she had that match with Tay Conti on on AEW, I got up to to I was gonna skip that one, and uh, then I because I didn't realize Bunny was in it. Not that it, any disrespect to Tay Conti either. I just I don't know. But then I was just like, you know what? I, I'm gonna actually sit back and watch this match because I actually you know appreciate the Bunny a little bit from watching her on YouTube recently, <clears throat> and she did really good in her match. She was it was a really good match with her and Tay. So, mad respect for them as people. To Butcher, seems like just a super genuine. He was also on Miro's show. Um, Miro's got a YouTube channel as well and a, and a Twitch stream. And he did an interview with Butcher. And he just seems like such a humble guy. 
and and really self-aware, really cool. He's in a band, you know, he's a rock star on top of all that, like a kick-ass, really, he's more famous for the band than being the wrestler. So uh, just a good interview, worth checking out, Butcher and the Fucking Blade. If you're sleeping on him, just, just look, give this a listen, hear the guys out as people, and then, you know, when you watch their matches, keep their gimmick in mind, the specialty henchmen. Keep that in the back of your mind and watch them work. You know, that's the and that's their job, and they do it well. And I appreciate them as a team and appreciate their style. You know when to find talk is Jericho. It's on twice a week, every week, Wednesdays and Fridays. Speaking of Miro's show, he also had the big show, or I should say Paul White. I'll never get used to that. He'll always be big show to me. Big showy show. He had the big show on, and he was interviewing him, and he asked him the differences between AEW and WWE, if he, if he felt a difference, or things that he noticed uh, that were different. Check this out. Do you, see, do you see any difference with AEW? Something. Do I see a difference? Oh what do you God, notice? Well, he, yes, that's what I mean. It's it's um, it's funny because I talked to Jericho a little bit about it because um, Jericho and I have been a lot of places together and been through a lot of different different organizations. And um, when I got to AEW, I kept waiting for that pressure to drop, that shoe to drop, that that um, that environment of of um just that weight that you carry when you're working uh, right. elsewhere and um it's not the shoe's not going to drop like everybody is supportive like the um the boss actually thanks you for your time and thanks you for your effort and, and truly wants your opinions and your ideas and um you know it's it's just a different atmosphere altogether. Because I mean, I, we've worked some days at AEW that I would have flipped my friggin' biscuit to work those days somewhere else. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you get there too, and you're leaving at quarter to four in the morning. You know, but you're leaving happy because you know you like you had fun at work, you had fun watching the matches, you had fun uh, even doing nothing. It's just a good environment. It's not that. Uh, that that shark tank of an environment that makes any sense yeah. it's basically the walking on eggshells thing everybody walks on eggshells around wwe everybody's waiting on somebody to stab them in the back or waiting for their push to get fucking shit can and end up getting buried and doing jobs or having to do some stupid angle or wear some stupid outfit or not get used for a while or get yelled at for something it's you hear that shit constantly in wwe it's as well-oiled polished and clean of a machine that it is it's also a fucking madhouse right like they don't they they write so sporadically their storylines are all dumb stupid their match finishes are all the worst you know they're all fucking fuck finishes and you know you hear all these stories about what it's like to walk around on eggshells backstage you don't have that in AEW. There's a lot of AEW haters out there, and that's fine if you're a WWE loyalist or if there's just, you know, you're a Jim Cornette fucking loyalist and you think everything's got to be Gotch versus fucking Hackenschmidt 
or it's crap, you know, all these bloody high spots. My God, and all they do is the flippity floppity flies. Come on now. But for what it's worth, you know, AEW's a new company and a very green company. It's Booker is green. It's not being booked by people that have an intricate knowledge of the inside of the wrestling business. And book it, it's ran by a nerd who ran a fake fed in a notebook or with his fucking action figures or whatever. And I was just doing it for real. That's his experience. And that's fine. I don't mind that because it's fresh and it's new and it's going to, it gives new opportunities. It gives vital ideas to, you know, get something different. Indifferent is good. There's a lot of reasons that you might not like it, but for what it's worth, you still got to give AEW the credit and appreciate them for existing for the reasons that they, you know, for other reasons besides just the way that you think of them creatively or what do you think of their wrestlers, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you got to appreciate that they're giving guys paydays, lots of guys paydays, not just the guys on their rosters, but indie guys paydays, lots of indie guys paydays. One of the biggest complaints in AEW is that guy from the, from in the locker room from the wrestlers is that they got to hang around until fucking two in the morning for these shows. But that's not much of a complaint because you're only working once or twice a week, as they said, and it's. The reason why you're staying there that late is because they're giving everybody and their mom a fucking payday or a job, you know, fucking chance to be seen, to work and get paid. Tony Khan is supporting the wrestling business in a way that just couldn't be done if if they didn't exist right now in this pandemic. And the locker room, they're run like a team. They're treated like a team. They're treated like athletes, you know, they're the way that the their amenities are taken care of and just the respect that they're given and, and all of that shit. They're not walking around on eggshells. They go there, they have fun, they're encouraged to create shit, to make it their own, um, and and it's it's a loose, fun team environment. Everybody feels like they're on a team, and you can tell by just you watch all these backstage videos and shit. You can just not, it's not just the way everybody talks about it. And that's everybody, everybody, everybody in AEW talks about it like that. But you can see it in the way that they all interact with each other. It looks like a more fun environment. And that's, to me, that's the bigger difference. Yeah, AEW is green. And yeah, their booking and, and their matches and all of it's going to be. It's not WWE's been in business for fifty fucking years, man. Come on now, you gotta cut them slack. Appreciate them for what they're doing for the wrestling business. Don't hate on them and try to shit on them and bury them and push them out of the wrestling business because it's not it's not good for if you like wrestling. Be happy they exist and be happy that they're on a major platform. Support it. Watch it. WWE is not going to die and go away, but if AEW dies and goes away or shrinks down to a Ring of Honor or Impact level, then we're going to be right back in the same spot that we were before, where WWE, that's why WWE sucks so bad now. It's because they got too comfortable with themselves. Don't let them get comfortable. and don't in, 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 Don't let them be the only place that wrestlers can get work. 
You can check out 2B Miro. That's his channel on YouTube. Just look it up. He's got a couple interviews there. Sometimes he hangs out with his wife. A lot of times he's just playing video games or bullshitting. He even did a uh, recent kind of half in character, a little uh, little thing thing on the uh, arcade anarchy match that he recently had, and talking about how he's kind of ready to move on from it and. You know, I think we're all ready for him to move on from all that shit. But uh, he kind of did it in character. And I don't know, there's just fun stuff over there. Go check it out. See what it's all about. See if it's for you and add it to your content list, motherfucker. Thank you guys so much for checking out the show. I know you've been overwhelmed with content this week. I know I sure have. I love it, though, as a wrestling fan. WrestleMania week is the craziest week of the year for professional wrestling fans. I love just being in it. There's all kinds of great podcasts out there this week. Too many for me to get to, um, but I highly recommend you seek those out. Oral Sessions had good content this week. After the Bell had great content this week. Don't forget, I'll be doing a bonus clip, a bonus podcast, talking about the Chris Jericho on the Broken Skull Sessions. I don't know if it'll be long. might just be a short clip. I don't know how it'll play out yet, but because of the timing of the show, I don't want to wait till next week to cover it. So keep an eye out for that bonus content. Enjoy the rest of WrestleMania week. We got the last night here tonight. Then, of course, Monday Night Raw tomorrow. Lots of good shit. Thank you for taking time out to hang out with me. Have a great day. I'm your host, Seth Grimes, and this has been the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. (laughs) 